Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, Dame Ella MacArthur joins us on the Isle of Wight and tells us about her charity work with young people. We're joined by Dan and Nicola from the National Pooh Museum. The incredible story of Oscar-winning Dustin Lance Black and the host of Saturday Kitchen, James Martin, is on to talk about preparing to perform live in a band to over 50,000 people at Carfest. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. He's won an Oscar, spoken to thousands in front of the US Capitol building and married a British Olympic hero, telling his unique story of overcoming family differences, receiving critical acclaim and challenging governments. It's the inspiring Dustin Lance Black. Good morning, Lance. Hi. How, how are, are you? you? I'm very well. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm awake. I You're have my awake. coffee. Okay. I'm with you. Did you did you walk here? Because you only live around the corner. Yeah, I, yeah, I walked right over. Ambled here. I did. How's Borough Market looking this morning before we get out there uh, ourselves? Calorific. It's looking like a great temptation on my way home. It always is. You know this, what I mean? Your story is amazing. Okay, so uh, you fancied your first bloke at six. He was the school bully or the local bully. Um, and then um, you didn't live in, in an environment which was conducive to being gay. Did you just tell no. us about that for a second? No, I um, I mean, I grew up in the South in America, which is predominantly not, well, it's a lot of conservative folks who don't tend to uh, favor LGBT folks. And yeah. then my mom uh, was Mormon uh, and worked for the military. So Mormon, military, Texan. I mean, it was a bit, of a, good, is it? a bit of a stacked deck, yeah. <clears throat> especially when you, you've fallen deeply in love with the 10-year-old bully down the street, <laughs> uh, which probably says a lot about the, the, But that was the uh, that was just the beginning, the first chapter in a whole sort of uh, ream of adversity. So so your mum, uh, your mum uh, was disabled. Yes. Tell us about that. So, I mean, that is really the key, I think, and the reason I wanted to tell the story is my mom had polio when she was two, so she, she never was able to walk. She yeah. was paralyzed from the chest down. We were abandoned by my good Mormon father when I was six. My little brother was two. My big brother was 10. Um, so that means I was raising my mom by six years old as much as she was raising me. We were best pals. We had to figure things out. Here's this conservative Mormon military woman who I know is homophobic because I've heard her say the things she says. And yeah. she's given birth to me. How is this possible? This kid who went to Hollywood instead of going on a Mormon mission. I mean, right there, I was in trouble. And we, but we knew we had to figure it out. We knew we had to figure out a bridge between us. Um, when did you When did you start to know that was the case? At what age? I mean, really, at six years old, they beamed um, the Mormon prophet uh, into every church that had a satellite dish. Yep. And he said that next to the sin of murder, came the sin of homosexuality, which I thought was a fabulous word until someone defined it for me and said that it meant you'd go to hell and you'd lose your family. And I already knew I had a crush. So I already, I knew I was uh, too different for this place I called home. All right, so then we'll, so we'll talk next about, about the day finally you and your mum did ha have the big conversation. And then we'll talk about how the heck you got from there to this, ladies and gentlemen, I just listened to this, and this is Lance's accepted speech for his Oscar. That's an Oscar, ladies and gentlemen. When I was 13 years old, my beautiful mother and my father moved me from a conservative Mormon home in San Antonio, Texas, to California, and I heard the story of Harvey Milk. And it gave me hope. It gave me the hope to live my life. It gave me the hope to one day I could live my life openly as who I am and that maybe even I could fall in love and one day get married. I want to I wanna thank my mom uh, who has always loved me for who I am even when there was pressure not to. But most of all, 
if Harvey had not been taken from us 30 years ago, I think he'd want me to say to all of the gay and lesbian kids out there tonight who have been told that they are less than by their churches or by the government or by their families, that you are beautiful, wonderful creatures of value. And that no matter what anyone tells you, God does love you. And that very soon, I promise you, you will have equal rights federally across this great nation of ours. Now, tell, let's tell, talk about your mum, your, your yes. hero, your, your mum. You talked about her there in your very emotional acceptance speech for your Oscar back in 2009. Yes. OK, so what, tell us about the moment uh, that you thought, OK, cards on the table, she's got to know, she probably does know what's going on here, what's going on with me. How do we get through this? How do we move forward? Yeah. Because we love each other to death. We've literally been, cl- you know, close to close to death and back, but we're still here, we're survivors. Surely we can get through this. It, you know, I never came out to her because she's a good Southern mother. And she was railing about don't ask, don't tell, which would have allowed closeted, just closeted gay people to still participate in the military. And that was too much for her. That These were people she knew were going to hell, that were criminals. She'd heard all these terrible things about them over time. And, uh, and she's going on and on and on about that. And I start to cry. And that's how I came out to my mom. I never said the words. She just read my tears like they were tea leaves. And she knew. And she wasn't happy about it. Uh, but this is this gets to the reason why I wrote this book. I mean, there was no reason to write a book about the Oscars or even our Supreme Court win. To me, that's looking backward. I wrote this book because my mom, a good conservative Southern military woman, showed the courage and the curiosity to get on a plane, to fly to L.A., which she had always been told was the home of the devil himself, and and to meet my LGBT friends and to ask them questions and to listen to their stories. And I, th- I thought, you know, that's part of the inheritance I have from my grandmother and my mother is that kind of courage and that curiosity. And that's what we need to be able to start to bridge political divides right now. And I, you know, my mom, uh, not to ruin too much, but before I lost my mom, she, she would call me in tears saying, I just got in a fight with my, you know, sister or my, uh, or a cousin or a, a nephew. And it was all over politics. Since when did politics become the highest plane of existence in our world? When yeah, did yeah. that happen? Yeah. And how do we fix that? Because if a, if a red conservative mom can get along with, you know, her very progressive coastal fighting for marriage equality son, if we could figure it out, why can't other people? And it's, that's the reason. That's the reason why I wanted to write this book. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. If you've just tuned in, there is a dinosaur museum here on the Jurassic Coast on the Isle of Wight. There are lots of people doing lots of great things on the Isle of Wight here. Lots of people living the dream. But it's the poo museum that lots and lots of us are excited about most. It's half term. I mean, it's a half term subject. And uh, at Carfest South, we have named the poo. Uh, we have Claire Schechter, and she does that with the kids. The kids love it. Why wouldn't they love it? Uh, right here on the Isle of Wight, there is Jurassic poo. Poo that's like thousands, millions of years old. It's quite incredible. Uh, now, of course, the Poo Museum, they have their own boat. It's called the Pooey 2. And Andy in Huddersfield has asked, is the Pooey 2 a floater? <laughs> Well, we'll ask, we'll ask the people in charge of it in a moment or two. And um, they have started a celebrity poo collection at the Poo Museum. But so far, they've only got one uh, sample from it. This is all true from a celebrity. Uh, so they're looking for their second sam- sample. Now, that's, that, of course, will be sample number two. Oh. Thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> Because now we have got blue skies up ahead. The sun is shining really brightly. Uh, it's really warm. It doesn't really get... It gets. It, this is a 9 out of 10 now on the Isle of Wight. You could have a 10. This isn't quite a 10 because it's not fly calm. But it's pretty much a 9 out of 10. However, as I say, it's all too blue. I need things to get a bit browner. <laughs> I just do. And I'm back inside now with Daniel Robertson, Nicola Winsland from the National Poo Museum. <laughs> Good morning, guys. Morning, morning. Morning, morning. So we are fascinated by you. By the way, they have a couple of James Bond-style attaché cases, complete with framed poo. (laughs) 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 It's all right. There's nothing to worry about here. Although some some of the more fragile ladies in the audience, take a look at that, madam. Sorry, what did I just thrust in front of that unsuspected lady's eyes? That was was, uh, a very ordinary dog poo. 
<laughs> not ordering in the sense that they don't normally come out encapsulated in resin, but uh, inside that is uh, just a, a dog poo. Poo or false. Oh, poo or false. The pooey too. You've got some poetry coming up later, and you've got your plop-ups all over the Isle of Wight all summer. I'll tell you what, Damien Hurst has got nothing on you two, has he? Well, look at that. What's this one? Uh, that one is a pellet, actually. We're in the Poo Museum. Oh, a we do show, poo. show pellets as well as poos, and they're fantastic because you can often see a lot more about what the bird's been eating um, than From... you can in poo. Okay, what's this one? I'm not sure. Are you sure you want to know what that one is? Well, oh no, no, I don't. I've just seen the shape of it. Okay. <laughs> All right. You could have warned me for heaven's sake. <laughs> well, we're all inclusive here. Okay, what's the oldest poo here? Ah, uh, where's the oldest poo? Here's, I think you should pull that one out, Nicola. the oldest poo. Take okay. a hold of that. All right. That's 20 million years old, that 20 poo. 20 million years old. Anybody come close to that this morning? You, sir? Roger. No? Okay. Anybody want to hold a 20 million year old poo? Come on, there you go. Pass it around. Pass the poo. Thank you. Whose idea was this museum? This is Daniel's idea. This, yeah. I have to put my hand up it. It was uh, You have to idea. put your hand up it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you did say that, didn't you? I'm not imagining that. OK, go on. You did well, actually say that, yeah. Daniel. Well, we were a group of struggling artists, uh, and, uh, you know, as most artists, we didn't have much money in our, in our group, and we decided to make an exhibition. Um, but then the question was, what should we make an exhibition about? And uh, it was one of those kind of Isaac Newton moments, you know, where an apple drops on his head. Yeah. And um, it wasn't a poo that dropped on my head. I, I was off on a walking holiday. I was thinking about what should we do an exhibition about? What should we do an exhibition about? And then there in the middle of the path, there was a lynx poo. And that's where it all started. How did you know it was a lynx poo? Well, I didn't. That's the thing. Because I, at that time, knew no more about poo than anybody else. It's just what you see in the bathroom, really. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but I was with some friends, and that really was the thing that triggered it, that I just stepped over this thing. Um, and then I turned around, and we were in this beautiful scenery in the north of Sweden, but everybody I was with was just staring at this poo. And that's when I thought, that is what we need to make an exhibition about. And now it's a, you, you earn a living from this. It's, an, it's a going concern. You're really popular, aren't you, on the Isle of Wight? Yeah, I think we are really popular, but it's not quite true to say that we, uh, we've made much money from it yet, but we're hoping that we will be a, a proper going concern soon. But do you turn a living or do you have to do something else as well? Uh, it's a very simple question. Is it yes or no? I'm a plumber I put it to, as well. I put it to you, sir. <laughs> You're a what? I'm a plumber as He's well. He's a plumber! <laughs> <laughs> what else would he be? He's dragged me around the U-Bend with this interview. <laughs> Nicola, how did you get involved? Uh, how did I get involved? Well, the world of poo isn't terribly alien to me because I work with very young children, and young children are fascinated and very curious they about are. poo, they and they talk about it all the time. Um, but um, I, I know these guys, and... They really inspired me to start... Well, I wrote a poem about you, didn't I? I wrote a you poem did. about you collecting poo. <laughs> and what can I say? It opened a gate. And, See? And, Get and, to the Isle of Wight, everybody! <laughs> Who are you and, missing yeah. out on? <laughs> and, and a lot of little poems followed, and so I um, put my poems into a little book. And, a book uh, of poetry? A book of poetry, yeah. And, uh, and hey-ho, people liked it. And so, uh, yeah, we've sort of done things together ever since, haven't you, you've we? You've done yeah. things together done ever since? Done things <laughs> together. Oh, it's too bad. Tell us, tell us about the Pooey 2, your boat. Oh, wouldn't that have been fantastic if we could have arrived on the Pooey 2? Um, so the Pooey 2 <laughs> is, is actually... Don't laugh. This Please is actually We're talking about a genuine... It's on the Register of British Small Ships, this. Yeah, it's well, ships with a P, it, and uh, <laughs> and this is a little boat. <laughs> Sorry. Have you had one of the gorgeous yellow tomato Marys here this morning? You know they do. You know, you have bloody Marys. They have yellow Marys oh, here. Really? With well, the Isle of Wight white tomatoes. You know what? There's something called yellow soup, which um, was a traditional uh, Chinese um, remedy for dysentery. So of I'm, course uh, there was. <laughs> I'm thinking it's something along those lines. <laughs> It's great to meet you with. Where are you? Whereabouts? Because this is a bit, it's not as, as small an island as people think. So where, where can people find you? 
Well, at the moment, we're, we're, we're hoping for our new home to be um, open, well, fairly soon. Mm. It's, um, it's in a fantastic um, uh, setting. It's at the Sandown Barrett Battery, right. um, overlooking the Bay of Sandown, and it's a, a registered... No, it's oh, a listed it's a, building, isn't yes, it? it? Yeah, it's an old Victorian yeah. fort, one uh, of the Palmerston the, forts around and, here. and the bit that we're hoping to be in is what used to be the old public toilet. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But it's do, beautiful do, do inside. A, it's absolutely beautiful. Do you have a little short poem before we go? Can you a little a, short poem. Yes, yeah, please. Let me... Let Just me. a little quick poem. OK. Right. Could you hold uh, that yeah, for I'll me? Yeah, I'll hold the microphone. Here we go. Let's hit this. Poems. Let's see. What should we go for? It's a short one. Just give, give us one of your finest. That one of my finest. <laughs> one of your uh, let's put my They're glasses. They're all very fine. Let's put okay, my do you glasses need to hold the book on. Can you see? Hang on. Hang on. Here okay. we are. Zebra poo. Contrary to all the hype, zebra poos don't have a stripe. So it's conceivable, of course, that you could muddle them with horse. <laughs> Giraffe poo, now keep this fella in full sight as his paw falls from a great height. If on your head some should alight, then your day will be turned to night. All right, thank you very much indeed. Round of applause for the Poo Museum. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Dame Ellen MacArthur is here. Morning, thank you. Well, I'm welcoming you, but you actually live here, so it should be the other way around, I suppose, shouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, w- welcome, Chris. Welcome, team. How, how long have you lived on the Isle of Wight for? So I've been here now over 20 years, have which is really? amazing. Okay, yeah. and was it was it work first, and then it became obvious you might as well just just base yourself here? Yeah, well, growing up in Derbyshire and being a sailor was a bit challenging. <laughs> so, uh, I, I've so always <laughs> wondered, how the heck did you become a sailor in the first place? I just had the chance to sail when I was a kid, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, I don't know how many of the guys here have sailed before, been on the water before, but there's something really special about it. And I just fell in love with it, loved it, and then basically had to move to the coast somewhere to, to set up and, and try and forge a career in sailing. Okay, now you live here, you have a farm here as well, don't you? Uh, now, tell us tell us about the charity, because we got involved with your charity this year, we're more than happy to do that, so Carfest, uh, 100% of all the profits from Carfest go to children's charities, and this year that includes yours, so tell us more about the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust, please. So the Cancer Trust we started in 2003 here, actually on the Isle of Wight, our base has always been here, our, our head office, and we work with young people right across the country who are in recovery from cancer, and the idea is that, you know, when a young person is diagnosed with cancer, they have their entire world pulled out from underneath them and they 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 lose all their confidence they lose their courage they they you know they fight the illness and then they finish their treatment and they're told to you know to get back on with normal life and they don't have a normal life they don't anymore. have a normal you know, life and then life is turned different. upside down and that's where we step in you know we take the young people we take them out on boats we you know, cross the water we do all sorts of outdoor activities and and help them put the pieces of the puzzle back together and they're amongst other young people that get it that understand and it's funny because we were talking to, to a neurologist a couple of weeks ago about teenagers and why why teenagers go a bit mad and it's because they lose 17% of their of their um, of the uh, their, their white matter what's it called the, no the grey matter of course it's grey called matter. and it's replaced by white matter and so the neuroplasticity changes and the reason that they only talk to each other is because they only get each other because they're, de- <laughs> they're speaking a different language but times that by 100 for people kids teenagers recovering from cancer absolutely yeah they really have had their lives thrown upside down and and it's that kind of the the elation of treatment finishing and obviously yep. you enter that five year period of are we going to be okay yeah. but your treatment's done and you get on with normal life but it isn't there it's just not there and, and so the best way to, for them to cope is to be around other teenagers in exactly the same situation yeah i think you know what we've seen and it, it's it's a bit of magic really we don't really understand it maybe we never will but you can see a young person arrive on the boat incredibly quiet you know we work yeah. with eight-year-olds some, yeah. you know eight right through to 24 and they're so quiet, you know, and they don't talk and they're incredibly introvert. And it's often the first time they've been away from their family in years of treatment. You know, stressful for the family as well yeah. to let that child go. And then four days later, they are somebody completely different. You know, you can't shut them up. They don't stop. They don't want to leave the boat. That becomes their family. And it's it's really, really incredible to so, see. So the format of the stay for the kids is they arrive on Monday, they leave on Thursday. It's four nights aboard the boat. And then they have this barbecue farewell. Which, which you've I've, seen. I've, be, I've seen it. And I, was, I, was, I had to go and have a little moment with myself. Because it was so emotional. Uh, they were all laughing and celebrating. But I, obviously, you know, I knew some of the situations that, and the challenges that the kids were facing mm. that, were, that were around us. But they were literally having, literally having the time of their life. Mm. And I think that's it. I remember the first time I ever sailed with young people in recovery from cancer was in France. And I was really nervous. You know, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to, how to react. I'd never really worked with young people before, let alone young people in recovery from cancer. And within five minutes, I was in stitches. I mean, they were just phenomenal. <laughs> 
and they really became my heroes. No, they lead the way, don't they? Um, it's it's mm. fantastic. And how many trips are scheduled for this year? So this year we'll do 31 trips, and last year we took 649 young people on these trips, which has made a massive difference. And, you know, thanks to your support from Carfest and all that we're doing together, we'll aim not only to increase the numbers of young people, but also the awareness of what we do and why it works. No, it's superb. So it's 31 trips, but that's not 31 boats. That's 31 lots of six boats over four days, isn't it? So that's the round of applause. For great, great initiative. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. So that's three guests down and still loads to come, still to come. Michael Caine tells us about his new book, Blowing the Bloody Doors Off, plus singing superstars Katie Tunstall and Sophie Ellis-Bexter, the hypnotic Paul McKenna and the one and only Harry Redknapp. All that and more, but first, this. He's a knight of the realm, a movie centurion, a double Oscar winner, and quite a lot of people know that. He's Alfie. He's Alfred Pennyworth. He's even Austin Powers' father, telling us the tales of a swinging 60 years on our screens in his book, Blowing the Bloody Doors Off. Please welcome <laughs> our next guest. His name is Sir Michael Kane. Good morning, Sir Michael. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. Did you get your leg sorted out, your ankle? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we sorted that out, yeah, because I, I broke it. But it took uh, a bit of advice. Don't ever break your ankle. It lasts forever. It does, it does. Now, Michael, um, I've done this interview with you before because we uh, interviewed you when the hardback of a copy of this book came out, Blowing yes, the Blue. Yeah. So, so we have done the interview before. Um, how have you been? <laughs> I've, I've been very well. And, uh, the, the book went very well, so I'm very happy with it. It did, And it's it? just, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm talking about it today because today the paperback comes out. The paperback is out today. So for people who haven't read it, uh, give them the gist. Because, I mean, you could write 10 books, couldn't you? You could write probably 100 books in what you've experienced over your career. How did you choose what finally got in this one? What, what happened here is I, 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 I sort of retired and, uh, and I was spending a lot of time in Miami. I had a flat in a restaurant. And um, I, I made friends with Jack Nicholson there uh, in Miami. And uh, eventually a script turned up and... I came out of retirement to do this one script, and then I went on and had a whole other career. I won the Academy Award, the Cider House Rules, the European Academy Award for Youth, and I did six pictures with uh, Christopher Nolan, including three Batman. So, I mean, I thought I'd retired. So the lesson is, if you're if you're older, as you get older, watch out for retiring because there may be another whole life yet. Because this is what happened to me. How does it feel being you uh, in 2019? How do you feel when you get up in the morning? I feel great that I'm even here to get up in the morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm 86, you know. But what it is, is I'm, I'm full of life, you know. Um, I'm, I'm writing a book, and so that, that makes me happy, Another a, a, a thriller. And I've never never written fiction before, so I'm, I'm trying to do that. So and you, I've got a couple of movies to do. And, have you really? Uh, okay. I'm very happy. Tell us, can you tell us what you can about the movies you, you're scheduled to do next? Oh, I'm doing a movie uh, called Bestsellers. It's about an alcoholic old author, and uh, I'm doing that in Montreal in uh, in July. All right. And when you, when you know when you think about the Italian job and Alfie, you know, right back to the beginning in Zulu, and when you, you used to share a flat with Terence Stamp, and he was getting all the work, and you couldn't get arrested. You know, does that does do you can you still sense that was that was in your lifetime? That was you. That was Michael Caine that experienced that because it was so long ago. Like you say, you know, in many many ways, the last twenty five years of your career have been bigger and almost better than the preceding. Um, yeah, well, that's that's the point. I, I retired before I got yeah. the better bit. <laughs> when, when you think about Back to the Italian job, and you know, and Alfie. You know, what, what are your what are your memories now from that? Is it is it like you were ever there? Or well, the Italian job? Yeah. Well, the Italian job was that I I was driving the cars on special special areas because I didn't have a license and I couldn't drive. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I sort of learned to drive on that. But when when they did the proper stuff, yeah. Um, the, the wife of the boss of the stunt team, yeah, was a tall blonde girl, and I was blonde. And she was a brilliant driver, obviously, we were working in the stunt team, and so my, my double was a woman. See, now that's quite incredible, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you were, quite, you were quite effeminate, weren't you, for a while? 
in certain roles. Oh, I, I did uh, three three movies where I was gay, yeah. Yeah? OK. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Blowing the Bloody Doors Off and, and Other Lessons in Life from Michael Caine. A great beach read. OK, so because it is a paperback, it's beach, it's beach season, Michael. Uh, yeah. what, you, you've been to many. Uh, one beach to read your book, book on. Come on, pick us a beach now. Oh, um, uh, in the south of France, anywhere in the south of France. I love the south of France. <laughs> Did you ever meet... Please tell me you hung out with David Niven in the south of France. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a house. He had a... Da- I used to go to his house and have lunch in the, in the south of France. OK. I lived down there. Who else used to come, turn up for lunch at David Niven's house in Cap Ferrat? Uh, oh, uh, you've got Grace Kelly. From, she was married and living in, in, in Monaco. Right. She was married to the, the boss. Uh, I, I forget what her title was, but she was Princess Grace. So I, I met her there. But I mean, there was always people coming in and out. It was it was like a, like a chain of chain of fame. Well, it's lovely to talk to you again, Michael. Great to talk to you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. James Martin! Good morning, James. That's why I'm still in the doorway. <laughs> I bet you've been in a few smelly kitchens in your life, haven't you? Well, no, not this one. <laughs> no, no. We're talking about inspirational stories whilst we're on the road uh, because nobody we've talked to has won a competition to be here. And this, uh, England, this is very much where it all started for you, isn't it? Yeah, I started when I was a young kid, uh, 19 years old. Um, well, I started working in the kitchens in London when I was a young kid, 16. And then um, I applied for several jobs and, and this place kindly offered me one. And... Uh, and I kind of bit of a bit of a rude awakening to this place, but I, I drove through the front gate instead of the back gate. The back gate's for the for the staff. I right. drove through the front gate yeah, okay. and um, <laughs> looked at something they shouldn't have looking at coming out of the health club and took out one of the lampposts. Did on my you car. really? Okay, so that was, that was uh, a, a baptism. And of then fire the car stopped right outside this front entrance here, okay. um, with oil pouring all over the floor. Um, so I thought your car, yeah. My car, not the, literally not the... on my way to the interview. Auspicious uh, of beginning. So what was your first day like? What was your first job? Uh, amazing. I walked into a kitchen. It was uh, amazing with a French chef, a guy called Pierre Chaviana. Um And it was just a phenomenal time. You know, it's just a, it's that moment where food in the UK was really gathering up pace in 80s and 90s and early 90s. And it was just a, you know, we had an amazing team. Um, they booked up the team and there was a group of us came down from London and... and yeah, amazing uh, front of house and, and, and just everything about it. It was this something special. And, and ever since I left, I've always come back and, and done things for them because they helped me out so much when I was a young kid. Were you pastries first or...? Pastry first, and then went into larder and then sauce and, and worked my way around it, really. And, and um, as I say, the kitchen was predominantly French back, back in the day. Um, it's probably 50%, 60% French. And then worked my way through and, and, um, and then left... This place to set up the Hotel de Van. Um, and so that tell was... us about Hotel de Van and the guy behind it, because he's still around here. Well, isn't was, he? There was three left here. There was a guy called uh, fantastic wine sommelier called Gerard Basset, right. uh, who sadly passed away recently. But Robin Hudson, uh, an amazing hotelier, uh, who's then gone on to do the Pig and Limewood and all that sort of chain. Um, and then um, there's three of us really. And, and I, I was originally the sous chef, and it was actually Pierre Chevier. I was I was working in the kitchens, Commy and these uh, chefs, and Pierre said. I'm going to get you to just do some. These chefs were cooking and they were going to pick one head chef out of the five. And then they interviewed them all. And so Pierre turned around and said, right, there's the same ingredients. Just cook something for us. And I cooked something for us. And they turned around and said, you've got the job. That was um, it. It was their uh, chef. And uh, the rest is um, <laughs> not so much mystery, but uh, definitely history now. <laughs> that and that, so that's the hotel kitchens. But now yeah. there, there is a restaurant here called The Kitchen. And that's, that's, that's your baby, isn't it? So what goes on there? Yeah, well, I got a phone call uh, a while back and said, would I help out in this um, idea, this venture? And um, I actually... Couldn't remember where it was because there was a there was a hedge behind it. It was actually the boss's um, the house that he lived in. Um, so basically, they took the hedge down and there was a property there. And so um, 
set about building this amazing restaurant and cookery school and um, stuck my name attached to it and I'm, I've worked down here. And people are surprised that you actually work in the kitchen, but I do enjoy it. It's, it's local for me. It's, I love it. So we have Carfest North, we have <laughs> Carfest South. Uh, both of them, I think, sold out. Uh, there might be like a, a, a scrap of a ticket for Sunday night or something like that. Uh, go to Carfest website to have a look at that. Uh, but we're on course to raise at least two and a half million quid uh, for children's charities again which is great news uh, with the help of James and his buddies and uh, the, 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 the family of rock and roll a uh, couple of which are here today Katie Sunstone and Sophie Ellis Bexter who you'll hear from later uh, but you seem to be sort of um, breaking ranks and crossing borders no I'm, I'm not crossing borders by any well means. hang on a second no. <laughs> what are you going to do well I've agreed to, to, to yeah I don't know whether I agreed you wrote me into it um to, to play at Carfest South. On stage? Yeah. With a guitar in your hand? Yeah. Okay, actually, with, plug, plugged in so people can hear it? Plugged in, our first ever gig. Okay. Um, so how, do we, how, do, how does the rock and roll fraternity feel about this chef encroaching <laughs> upon their territory? Katie Tunstall, over to you. I think the most exciting thing about music is just being impulsive, you know, just go, just get up there and just... And also just have some dance moves, just right. in case. Okay, lady at the back in the, in the pink top, Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Top tips. Uh, yeah, just get up and go for it. It's a confidence trick. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we all feel like it's our first gig every time we do a gig, James. So just Thanks. embody that. Yeah. You, you said actually, that, but you are actually a professional musician. So back uh, to the chef. Uh, and we are actually rehearsing at the moment in a village hall. So you say we. Who, who is this we? Well, what are you going to do? We, Where are you going to do it? Built, when are you going to do it? We, my guitar instructor, a guy called Seb, um, has, has, has found these people. <laughs> this oh, we had our first rehearsal last week so all together. So you're going to so have we've a... Got a, we've got a drummer. Yes. We've got a bass guitarist. Right. There's two of us on guitar mm-hmm. and we've got two singers and one of the singers is actually learning to play the harmonica just for this one track. Right. Um, and I am literally... The, wherever I, I've got a bag of knives with me at all times and I've actually got a guitar with me. Right. So I'm actually travelling. I literally leave here now and I take the guitar with me while I'm filming um, and I'm learning every square minute of the day trying to get this right. So you're going to play a Rolling Stones song. Yeah. 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 Um, what's, what's funny about James's set, Katie <laughs> and Sophie, is that so far his set consists of one song, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then he thought, oh, what if we get an encore? So he's learnt another song. So if his band get an encore, the set will be doubled with the encore. Exactly. <laughs> you ever come across that before? I. I don't think that is the first time a band's been on stage doing one song. One yeah. song. Just and play the same song. No, no, I think you, you're preparing another song. We are, just okay. in case you stitch me up. Okay, <laughs> so this is like you've already got the dessert, but you're going to spin some sugar over the top well, of it. Well, we're trying to, yeah. That would be a lot easier than this, to be brutally honest is with you. Is it north and south or just south? Uh, no, it's just, just south. Just, just... Oh, it's not hey, fair on the north, it? It's not fair on the north. <laughs> 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 You are, you, are coming, you are coming to North, aren't you? I am coming to North. Well, hang on a minute. Bring the band, for heaven's sake. <laughs> What's the matter with you? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. So Katie Tunstall has just arrived. Sophie Ellis Bex is here. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. You were brilliant last night, by the way. The whole thing was brilliant. I was blown away. You were one of our surprises. I didn't know you were coming. <laughs> I know. It was like the most cheese day mission impossible of all time they're like go in the side door of the hotel go in the side door door and that was it <laughs> and you had to hide basically for the whole day away from all of us it was brilliant and I, you've now ruined me because about three people stood with confetti fireworks inside the stage now i need them every show yeah. you're getting a bit mariah carey on us aren't you do you want them to follow you around with the labrador puppies <laughs> where, do, where do i get them <laughs> uh, the frothy coffman will sort you out uh, Sophie Ellis Bex is here. Good morning, Sophie. Good morning, Chris. Uh, with the latest member of the ever growing brood, who's this? This is Mickey. Mickey is nearly five months, and I've got Jesse with me, who's three. Uh. Hi, mate. <laughs> okay, and Mickey is dishing out the smiles, isn't he? He's his own ray of sunshine. Yeah, he's a happy little bubble, which is nice. Very Congratulations. Sweet. You were also awesome last night. If you don't know what we're doing, we're live from Tewton Glen. It's the morning after. Uh, we were Booblade, well and truly Booblade the night before. Michael Booblade with his 21-piece band uh, coming down here to the New Forest playing for us for children need. Right, so uh, Sophie and Katie with us. Uh, they played for us. They were our surprises last night along with Beverly Knight. Amazing. I had no idea 
uh, that they were going to turn up. And it was just awesome. Uh, Sophie, when were you asked by the pesky, frothy coffee man to do this again? <laughs> um, I was asked probably about two weeks ago. Um, right. Yeah, and the feeling played it last year. So Richard was telling me how amazing it is here and amazing the event is. So it is lovely, isn't it? excited. And you're off on tour, as we just heard there. Yeah, I go away on Sunday, actually. Okay, is this yeah. with the big orchestra? It is. I'm so excited. I, w- yeah. I can't wait to come and see one of these shows. Oh, you have to. Yeah, please do. So I've got this um, run from Sunday, so it's sort of came Cambridge, up, starting Cambridge, finishing in Dublin, and then I do another run in November as well. So, yeah. Okay, so do you have your website? Oh, yeah, probably. Just type in Sophie Ellis tour date. Don't bother with the Bexter. Sophie Ellis, no, no, Everybody it, always misspells it anyway. Well, no, it's, your website is actually Sophie Ellis Bexter, so you need to do that. Oh. Uh, SophieEllisBexter.net, just so you know. That. You don't have to do it because you're her, <laughs> uh, but other people do because they're not. Uh, Cambridge, Nottingham, Bristol, Brighton, Birmingham, Manchester, Edinburgh, Dublin, Woodstock. Woodstock, get in with an orchestra. Uh, Tring, Livingston <laughs> uh, 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 Anne's, uh, Brizzle, Tamworth, Taunton, Watchet, uh, Chiswick and South, then on sea, finishing by the seaside there. Yes. At the Cliffs Pavilion with the full orchestra excellent now Katie uh, you were brilliant last night thank now, you now were, you were really tagged onto them we thought all the surprises had been had and then and Katie Tunstall <laughs> and honestly people don't believe me I don't know about these surprises so it's as much of a bonus for me as for everybody else but you also stuck around for Buble oh right come it on was, uh, that, uh, it's first Buble experience yeah it's there's before Buble and after <laughs> Buble <laughs> that guy Wow, he's he's like also loves a bit of chaos. Yes, he does. At one he? point, it was just like, okay, so how many people can we fit on the stage? I was like, oh my god. <laughs> At one point, there were more people on the Absolute stage nuts, than there were nuts. watching him. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but he really, I mean, he, oh, it was so good. He gives as good as anybody gets, doesn't he? It was great. Me, uh, I found Charlene Spiteri. We were there dancing at the side, and I said, you know. I've got a new bucket list thing that I want to do now is, you know when they, they do one of those songs and then there's like a horn pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do one of those kicks. <laughs> Gonna have to work that out. Yeah, so watch out, watch out uh, for that if you're in the front row any, of any Katie, yeah, of any of Katie's mind your eyes. Uh, forthcoming gigs. You kick off on June the 4th? Yes, I've got I've got um, festival season now. Okay, Isle of Wight so, festival. Isle of Wight. Um, that's June fourteenth. Uh, sorry, so June fourteenth, you kick off yeah. Saturday, uh, June fourteenth. I thought I thought Friday was the fourteenth. We need to sort out the Isle of Wight Festival. Just come for the whole weekend. Okay. I'll be there. I think it starts... Yeah, anyway, the point is Katie's there. Uh, then Litchfield, Oxfordshire, Tunbridge Wells, Cardigan, Castle Devon, uh, Castle Well and Stornoway, uh, Tollard Royal, Lowther, Shibuya in Japan. If you want to go to Japan, you yeah, can do that over. if you like. Come on. Kyoto in Japan. <gasps> Beautiful. Right. What a place. Homeforth and Linlithgow and then Morrison, Colorado, Rod Rocks Amphitheatre. <laughs> Got to, I've got to go to Bangalore first. Hang on a minute. I'm going to India in a few days. I've got a... I've Isle got... of Wight. Uh, Isle of Wight to Linlithgow via Japan, Colorado. <laughs> Where? Where? Yeah, I know. And this is, you know... Did you know those places aren't on the way? I know. You know, you can go on the way to the and next we don't, one. I'm gonna, we don't have the boob- Boobly Airways. You don't got have Boobly Airways. got to work out how we're going to do this. With us this morning... Um, Playing last night live for us from the Dine and Disco with that amazing band you played with, with Billington and Quinn. How My good! How good! They're so good. Have you signed them up? It was so funny because they, I mean, they they play a lot of country. They do, stuff, and it's such amazing songs. That they so addictive, isn't it? It's so good, and I was so happy to come on because Black Horse and the Cherry Tree made it to number one on the VH1 country chart. It was the... Let's just hear a rip off of that. Come thank on. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, which is massive, isn't it? The it country was, chart is huge, it's isn't huge, it? It's huge, but it was the most unsustainable country career of any artist ever. It well, was you, a proper flash in the pan. Well, you gave it a go. But I was there last night. I was back in a country band. So, so that song, right, what comes first? Is, is the boom, <clears> boom, Yes, boom. exactly. Yeah, or is so it, uh, that then, song was... I, I was bored of doing open mic nights like... Phoebe playing Smelly Cat and Friends <laughs> and my friend had this little looper pedal and I was like well that'll sound like a band and so that song is literally me learning how to use that thing right. I was like right what about that boof 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 and I was like Ch-ch-ch-ch. I was like oh I wonder if there's like a noise that I can make that won't get so annoying that people actually turn it off I was like Woo-hoo! and that was that so, so that's a bit like Bo Selector by the way <laughs> 
<laughs> a little bit like Race Selector. Is, so it's, yeah, so it's been, the beat, then the woohoo's, then the lyrics. Third. Then the lyrics. And the lyrics were really funny because I'd been listening to lots of blues music and I just basically wrote a load of nonsense. Right. I don't know what... It, oh, people are, what's that song about? I'm like, um, well, um, <laughs> Crossroads. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it worked. It was one of those magic... Moments, it was a magic you know? moment, and it's great to have you here, Katie. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Joining us now is an EastEnder turned king of the jungle who's reigned supreme over the football field for 40 years after three books about the beautiful game. His latest, The World According to Harry, tells the story of the man behind the manager. It's the fabulous Harry Redknapp. Morning, Harry. Morning, guys. How are we? Very well. You've never been here live before, not in our studio at least, but thanks for coming in this morning. Great to see you. The World According to Harry. Okay, so it's the fourth book. Um, t- tell us how, how you went about getting this together. You, again, is it somebody come around for a cup of tea and a, yeah, a tin of biscuits? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah, that's, how, that's how your life works, isn't that it? That is how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I get up this morning, I said, where am I today? So we go to see Chris, so we're, going to, we're going somewhere else. So we go, okay, I'll just get off and they lead me there and, off, and away I'll go. All right, so the chapters here, various chapters. The World According to Harry. This is a book I think we really need at the moment. Uh, uh, Chapter one, Jungle Drums, Growing Up Happy, Keeping It Real. How do we keep it real, Harry? Come on, tell us that. How do we keep it real? I don't know. I mean, I I just, I like to keep, you know, I don't never get carried away of anything, Chris. I just take everything as it comes, really, you know, and... uh... But you've, you've, I mean, obviously, you've scaled some great heights. So how... Keeping one's feet on the ground, it, surely that's it doesn't come entirely naturally, does it? Did you have somebody who, who taught you to do that? Or? No, no, I just listen. I, you know, I, I love talking to people, and I just, you know, my, my day, I get up and if I chat away to everybody, and yeah, there's nothing, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't need any. We, we're all, we're, at the end of the day, we're all the same, aren't we? Whatever you take as we you do, find. We take it as you find it, and and get on with it. But you but you come across as not at all ambitious, yet you have achieved great things. Have you been ambitious in the past? No, no I'm ne- <laughs> never. I'm not. An, honestly, people say to me, how was it when you didn't get the England job? Yes. I go, well, I didn't go home and go to bed or something and sulk. I just, you know, I went out with whatever. We had a game golf or whatever I'd done that day. Uh, you take it as you say. But you wanted the England job, though. Oh, that, I'd love to that, have had it, but I didn't lose any sleep when I didn't get it. I mean, what can you do? And that's a little bit like I am, you know. No, I'm not thinking, oh, I want to do this. I want to. I don't. I take it as it comes and what, what happens, happens. So, okay, so you're not So you're not necessarily overly ambitious, but you must be motivated. Motiv- is, oh, yeah, I so want to do well. So there's a difference there, isn't there? Oh, I want to win. I mean, whatever I do, I want right. to be six months. I'm into it. I want to be successful, you know. Because you, you have to, you've motivated, you've been a brilliant manager. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had a, a good career, you know, but wherever I've been, I want to, I want to be successful if I'm not. No, I mean, I get very, very high and very low on the on days when, you know, uh, match day, if we get beat, I'm, I'm absolutely horrendous. I really, it's, it's, it's a bit scary, really. Well, I thank so goodness low. for that. Well, th- thank heaven the fact you're not entirely zen. No, oh no, no, I mean, you know, but the rest of it, now I'm not working, now I'm not, or not involved in football anymore. I've got, I'm pretty level. I'm just very laid back about everything, really. That's slightly reassuring for the rest of us, isn't it, Vassos? Well, I mean, the thing is, when you have a career in football as long as yours, and there are such highs and there are such lows, I yeah. guess you have to take the rest of life as it comes. After football, yeah, once I came out of it, I thought, well, that's it. I'm not going you know, to not not get uptight about anything. So going to speak, at, you know, in theatres to people, that don't, it don't phase me out. I just get on with it. Or come in on here to meet Chris today. Great, you know, come and have a chat and off I go and they leave me, <laughs> take me, put me and take me to my next thing today, my next book sign now, sign the books, chat it. with everybody. You need to give us lessons on just yeah. how to be so not bothered about everything. I think I'm quite not bothered about things compared to what I used to be at least, but you, you take it to a different level. Well, you, I think, Chris, you know, you can worry yourself silly, can't you? If you, you wake up can. every day and you've got your health, nothing else really matters, does it? Yeah, you've got your health, your loved you've ones. You've got your health and your, friends, family, your family. family around that you. That is it. That's You're so right. Thing, mate, you know? This book could be that one page long, couldn't it? It could be just that. It could be a leaflet, <laughs> couldn't it? Not, but it is a brilliant book. Right, it's yeah, a bit of fun. Chapter 10, um, Lessons in Love. Before that, uh, Chapter 8, Finding Love. Um, Sandra, of course, she's now yeah. become almost as much of a legend, <laughs> if not more so than you. I know. The, the neck that turns the red nap head. Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, t- tell everybody um, about how you first met Sandra. I met Sandra at... Uh... Well, I was a young footballer at West Ham, so it was 17, and we, me and a mate of mine used to go to, we decided to go to a dance at the uh, the Two Puddings pub in Stratford, right. in the old East End, upstairs, and uh, there was all Motown music at the time of the 60s, 
And yeah, there was Sandra and her mate. And me and my pal, who was a goalkeeper at West Ham, we decided to go and have a dance with these two good-looking girls across the uh, the dance floor. Uh, obviously, my mate was better looking than me, so I think when we walked over, the pair of them probably thought, well, I hope I ain't got him, but Sandra ended up with me, unfortunately <laughs> for her. But as it turned out, the, the, my mate, the goalkeeper, ended up being an undertaker, so she had a result in the end. She did have a result. Yeah. She still got a result now. How many years has it been? We're fifth, well, we've been married 50, 51 years this year. 51 years, yeah. congratulations. And we were going out for four years before that. So. All right, any tips for the rest of us to do with a marriage? <laughs> no. Come on, <laughs> tell us. <laughs> Just, I don't know. <laughs> my missus, I just, uh, you know, she's my life. I've got to be honest, she's different class. You've got to go to Talk Sport now, Harry. Thanks you so much for Chris, being here. lovely to see it's you. It's always great to see you. Love to the Good. family. Um, who does Jamie think is going to win tomorrow night? Who does he want to win tomorrow night? He's played I don't for both. Know. I haven't asked him, Chris. He's played for both teams, hasn't he? I know, he? yeah. Who well, I he... think he's, uh, he's, he's, he loves Liverpool. I think he had a long spell there, so... Yeah. All right, and up the cherries, by the way. Up always, the cherries, always up the, up cherries. the cherries. Still in the Premiership because they play with a smile on their face and the salty sea air in their lungs. Absolutely, that's right, isn't it? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. We have another guest who's just been talking to you off the air. Introduce him quickly, Vassus, so we can continue that particular conversation. <laughs> he is the ex-radio broadcaster who's gone on to make us smarter, richer, and even make us thinner. As a result, he's sold over ten million copies of his best-selling self-help books and now he's back donning his cans for the positivity podcast aiming to inspire us to live our best life it's the hypnotic paul mckenna morning, paul. thank you hello morning chris uh, so let's let's plug the podcast let's plug the heck out of the podcast now uh, and yeah. then we can talk about lots of other things so podcast yeah. podcast podcast okay so um i'm interviewing some of the world's most interesting people uh, so far i've interviewed simon cowell prue leith karen brady uh, warwick davis gary lineker uh, Heston Blumenthal, etc. And the idea is to discover how is it you do what you do. So it's not a journalistic interview, it's a psychological interview. And then without directly asking this question, what's your success mindset? So I ask a lot of questions and then eventually, after listening to it, you suddenly get an insight into, oh, that's how they, they approach life and that's how they see the world. So um, it's, and, and it's be- become a, a real like obsession for me. I love doing it. In fact, I'd love to interview you, Chris. Sir. Well, I'd love to be in conversation with you. Thank you. Uh, either way around, let's start with this one and see how it goes. Yes. I'm sure, I'm sure, well, if, if uh, during the last record is anything to go by, yeah. we're getting on gangbusters here. <laughs> so, so you in psychology, you in hypnotism. Yeah. Now, you were you were a, a DJ at Capital Radio. Yes. And did you think when you were doing your show there that one day you'd end up selling over ten million self-help books? You know, um, yes or no. I, I, I what happened was I actually. I, I did ask this question of myself, which all the American motivational uh, people ask, which is, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And, uh, and, and in that, you know, I then thought, well, I'd be on TV, I'd travel the world, I'd, I'd you know, I'd hang out with all kinds of interesting people from the arts, sports, business, etc. And, um, and so, I, yeah, I suppose it was sort of in my vision that, you know, I would, I would do something in terms of getting my hypnotherapy out there. In, in those days, it was cassettes, because I thought if I just sit and do it one to one, I'll see a few thousand people in my life. But I can affect millions of people if I if I get it into you know different forms of media. And um, and so I suppose that was in my game plan. But I didn't actually go. I'm going to write ten. Million, I'm going to sell ten million books. Ten million books, and still selling, by the way. And I've re- mm. I've read a lot of them. Not read all of them because you you do a new one every eighteen months, yeah. uh, which which is great news. But the DJing mm. and the 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 hypnosis, which came first? Then oh, I was a DJ. All I wanted to do was be a DJ. Right. I was a um, teenager and um, and then uh, I interviewed the local hypnotist one day and I'd had a bad day I was I'd stressed I'd broken up with my girlfriend the people in the apartment I was living were keeping me up and I went to interview this guy and he, he said look um, rather than me talk about it let me hypnotize you because you look stressed out I said yeah benevolently skeptically I said knock yourself out and uh, I sat back and I relaxed and suddenly all the burdens went away. I felt clear-headed. I felt fantastic. So I said, do you have any books on this? I borrowed a book from him and I read that. And then I, I started, you know, doing my best to hypnotize my friends to lose weight, quit smoking. And I'd be at a party and so people say, oh, I think it's nonsense. And, you know, we'd, I'd have them up ballet dancing, things like that. And everyone would fall about laughing. So that's kind of how it took place. Uh, now, as far as uh, hypnosis is concerned, as far as like, mm. hypnotherapy is concerned, yeah. uh, Vassus, you had hypnotherapy to do with your fear of snakes a couple of years ago mm. and it worked Almost instantly, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I had not just a sort of 
a little fear of snakes. I was, you know, waking up in the night with nightmares about snakes almost every night. You couldn't think of the word, let alone say the word. Yeah, I couldn't think of the word. I couldn't read the word. If snakes appeared on television, uh, snakes was very much the S word in our household. The kids knew to dive in front of the TV and, and just sort of, change the channel or distract me in some way um, and it did it, it really really worked and it was because obviously it wasn't I suppose thinking back on it it wasn't an actual fear of snakes it was just whatever my brain had decided to attach whatever anxiety or whatever onto and it was snakes sure um, but the fact that it and the fact that it cured me of the fear of snakes made me I think a lot more calm generally yes Yes, and absolutely. That makes sense. Open to alternative therapy. Yeah. So here's my question to mm. you, Paul. Yeah. Why don't people, and I've met millions, not millions, but hundreds of them mm. who, are, who, are, who are frightened of flying. Why yeah. don't they just all go and get hypnotherapy? Well, uh, many of them are now. And indeed, uh, Virgin um, Airlines, you know, they, they have a course because um, I, I train the Virgin people. And what happens is, uh, is, is a, a phobia is an irrational fear. And um, uh, you're right, fear of flying is a big one. But the, the largest one is the fear of public speaking. Um, because, of course, at school, you know, we stand up in front of the class, uh, someone points out your mistakes and people snigger. And so then you get, you know, inhibited about it. And so we're only born with two fears hardwired, which is the fear of um, falling and sudden loud noises. So if something goes bang, you don't go, oh, should I jump? You automatically jump. All the others are learned. And if, they, if they're learned, they can be unlearned. And years ago, it used to take about six months to systematically desensitize someone from a phobia. Now, most phobias are about 60 minutes. I mean, some even less than that. So why don't more people go and do that? Because it ruins, you know, not being unable to fly mm. ruins families. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think more and more people are because, you know, years ago, uh, hardly anybody did hypnotherapy like 20, 30 years ago. And in the last sort of 20 years ago, I must have trained more than 100,000 people in, in hip, hypnotherapy. And so more and more people are. But a lot of people think, well, it worked for them, but it won't work on me. I'm, I'm not suggestible and things like that. Um, everybody is suggestible. You know. Is that almost because they don't want to be cured because it's their badge of honor? Uh, it can be that too. It can be that, yes, they get... Can, uh, so, it's, some people, it's their story. It's their story. It's their identity. Also, they get control of the living daylights out of everybody. But It's so uh, true. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so true. It's, it's their racket, you know. All right, Paul. Great to talk to you. Um, you Chris. Uh, Positivity Podcast, available now on all good podcasts. That was Paul McKenna. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio breakfast show don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our virgin radio breakfast show with sky support comes from ServiceNow, the ai platform for business transformation you've heard the hype around ai the truth is ai is only as powerful as the platform it's built into ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com AI for people to learn more.